All right, back from the holidays, first Purple and Bold podcast of 2023. Noah and I here talk a little bit about lots of things going on in JMU sports, uh, a lot of basketball happening, uh, football recruiting transfer portal continues to be open and uh, getting getting some commitments there. We can start with that. Noah can fill us in on the latest transfer commitment for JMU and you know where they stand there. And what else we should expect probably before that transfer portal closes up here in like a couple weeks, right? Well, yeah. So, I mean, they picked up a commitment from uh, Taylor Thompson, a tight end from Charlotte, um, UNC Charlotte. He's a good commit. So he's got two years of eligibility left. Um, You know, he's he's caught over 500 yards, a couple touchdowns, 44 receptions. So he's a serviceable tight end, a guy you need. Um, You know, they're revamping this tight end room. They'll have brought in at least three new guys into that room coming into the fall um, with two freshmen and him. So, I mean, that'll be good, you know, along with Zach Horton, who's already here. So, there's that. Um, Yes, I mean, the portal technically closes, like, middle of this month, but that's only for people going in. You can come out of it at any point. Um, So, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, Once it closes, you have to wait until the beginning of May to hop back in the portal, but you can leave the portal at any time. Yeah. Um, You you talk about the tight end room, everything. Zach Horton coming back, you add another experienced one. It seems like they like to have that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for for a position like that where maybe some teams don't use a tight end as much, they've gone with two a lot. They've, you know, mixed two guys into the passing game this year, even more so than the year before. Um, bringing in more tight ends, more tall wide receivers. Do you see a different kind of look to the passing game with the personnel that's coming in? I think it'll be pretty similar to what we've seen um, out of JMU. Obviously, they used tight ends a little more in the past game this year, and I think you know bringing in a guy like Taylor Thompson who's caught the ball a lot, um, I think that just helps bring depth to that room. Um, and, I mean, I think he'll probably be tight end one coming into camp, and I think that's a good thing for JMU. Obviously, height is a big factor in the wide receiver room, but I anticipate them not being done in that room, so that's going to look a lot different by the time the fall rolls around. But other than that, I think, you know, the offense will will be pretty similar to what we saw this fall. Yeah, you rolled into my next question there is what to expect um, in the coming weeks as far as, I guess, not just transfers, but we'll get to the uh, later signing period for high school kids too. Um, just how many more players do you think we might see commit, sign, do all the transfer paperwork for JMU before spring football begins? Before spring begins, uh, maybe a couple, but yeah. by the end, time fall rolls around, I think then you know I think they'll add. Depending on how many people leave after camp in the spring, I think we'll see anywhere from five to ten guys get added over between spring and, and camp over the summer. But it's a long way till then. But you know, I think it's just a matter of how many guys decide to jump in the portal after they see where they fall in the depth chart. Yeah, yeah, I know you've got you know your charts and spreadsheets and everything just how close to 85 scholarships are they getting right now given the guys that have left and come back and we may not know exactly who's who's going to use their extra year uh do you have any idea i guess where they stand as far as um getting to that 85 scholarship limit i think they're getting up there i mean i think it depends just on how many of the guys decide to come back i mean the guy like isaac Uku. if he comes back then obviously it takes a scholarship there i mean they haven't really gone really d-line heavy which 
makes me believe that there's a possibility he could be coming back. I mean, I said that would be a big a big get for them to, you know, keep. Um, but I think they're definitely get up there. They had, what, 15 technically at senior day. We've seen a couple guys jump in the portal. So they've added 19 from the high school ranks and then another nine transfers. So that's 24. So I think they're they're getting close to where they were at the end of the season. I think they've mm-hmm. got a few left that they can deal with, and then they'll, of course, have some movement um, after camp. Yeah, well, we can move on from football because there hasn't been a ton going on there in the past couple of weeks. So uh, even the recruiting takes a little bit of a Christmas break. It seems like also but, nineteen plus nine is twenty-eight. I yeah. don't do math quickly yeah. in my head. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> we can move on to some basketball because it's been a good start to Sun Belt play for both the men and women's uh, JMU. Uh, we saw the women's team play at home here to open. Uh, two games in the Sun Belt last week. The men went on the road and got a couple of uh, fairly impressive victories on the road. Uh, <clears throat> Noah wrote about the women here the past couple of days. Just tell me your overall impression, seeing them in person play some Sun Belt teams um, get started against. You know, Coastal Carolina team, I don't think is a whole lot expected of them, but they seem to be playing just better and better uh week in week out right now yeah they're on a nine game winning streak but i think these last four kind of what shauna regan talked about yesterday the last four kind of showing that you know what this team can actually do and and of course they're trending in the right direction and he hopes they get better each game but you know nine in a row their last loss was to number 13 north carolina which they had a lead in at one point they played tight for three of the four quarters so i think this team's trending in the right direction i think that they they keep playing like they are now then you know It'll be a fun team to watch in March, and if they win the tournament, then they'll be really fun to watch the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to talk about that you know nine-game winning streak, but early on in that streak, they were squeaking out wins against teams yeah. that you know you start looking. Well, we can get into all the net ranking stuff here in a little bit, but you look at you know where teams are in the net on the women's side. They were squeaking out wins against teams that are not doing a whole lot, that don't have good records, that don't have uh, good rankings there. They were getting wins, but maybe they weren't the most impressive impressive performances. Lately, they've been handling teams. They've been winning games by double digits. They've won yeah. conference games by double digits. ODU struggling of late, battling some injuries. But that's a team that was picked to finish near the top of the Sun Belt, and they handled them at home. Uh, they went on the road and beat a pretty good St. Joseph's team fairly handily. It seems like they're just playing – better basketball you know we can talk about the win streaks but i think you know even the four or five game streak here recently is probably just as impressive as the overall streak yeah i think it is and i think it's shown that you know they they talked about what they needed to talk to during that that streak and have turned it around it i mean obviously turn it around you're still winning games but i think sean Regan would rather win games convincingly like they have been in the past few and and i think they can parlay that into this road trip this week and if they go through this week 4 and 0 i i mean 2 and 0 would be 4 and 0 in conference i think he'll really like where they're sitting if they can get two road wins and he said to win this conference you got to win on the road you can win at home while well, you, you should win at, the, at home it's winning on the road if you can take those then you're really you're really doing well yeah and you know we talk about what's been different you wrote about the uh, kind of evolution and the blossoming of susha kovlova here recently been a big time offensive threat for JMU, a career high 24 in her last time out. Um, you talk to her, you talk to Shauna Regan about her. This, 
overall impression of just how much she's added to this team. Recently, she gets more and more comfortable in the system. Yeah, you talk about she's just getting confident each night, and, and you know, she's really showing that. I mean, in in Pennsylvania, when they played those two games in Philadelphia, she had 18 points in both games. That was her career high at the time, and then, you know, against ODU, comes out with 24. Um, she's just playing really well, and he said confidence is a dangerous thing, and, and she's got it, and I think that that's something that will really help them um, in conference play is if you have a score like that, then really you look at the scouting report against JMU, you got to account for Kiki Jefferson, Paige McDaniel, and then Susha right there. So obviously you've got guards, but then the center can also score. So I think that just makes JMU that much more dangerous and harder to guard. Yeah, and you know Sean also talked about it. It's been probably five years or so since they've had a post player that they've just posted up, ran plays for, and got 12 field goal attempts in a game. They, you know, they just didn't look for their offense – on the block that way in recent seasons. So that, that's a different kind of dynamic for this team. You know, they've had all conference type centers, but it was more like about the rebounding and defense that they played, not necessarily being an offensive force like this. Yeah. I mean, it's working. And I think that, you know, it helps, you know, open the floor up a little more for your shooters. Like, you know, they just have Peyton McDaniel sit there outside the three point line <coughs> and just have her shoot. I think that that works. And especially when you have someone inside, so they, you double one of these three players, someone's gonna be one of them is gonna be open, and I think that's what helps JMU find so much success. And he talks about like this pendulum swinging, so they'll some teams will pay more attention to Kiki Jefferson, what opens the court up for others, and when she gets, you know, when others get t- taken out of the game, then you just open it back up for her. So I think that you know, this JMU team, I think it's pretty good, and I think you know, right now he, he seems pretty comfortable in the fact that you don't have to rely on Kiki Jefferson to score twenty points a night to win. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing we saw um, about that where, you know, she's opening up things for other people is early in the second half against ODU, they were down at halftime. They played pretty bad second quarter. And one of the first plays of the second half, um, it was Susha looked like she was just posting up. And it ends up being sort of like a post-up screen for uh, Jamia Hazel to go all the way to the basket. But the fact that they were just that worried about her posting up on the block opened up something else for somebody else. And, I mean, that was just a, you know, one example that jumped out to me because it was the first play of the half and it was noticeable and they needed that bucket kind of to change the momentum. But that's sort of what she brings to this team beyond scoring the points a lot. Yeah, I think that's something that is good. And they didn't have last year, obviously, and now this year that. And plus they're not even playing at full health right now. And I think that, you know, you get the whole roster. This is a really dangerous team. Right now they're dangerous, and I think they just get more dangerous when – they can get a player like Kobe King away on the court. I mean, she played in a couple of games, got hurt again. So, obviously, yeah. that, that is not helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned that they're going on the road. They're playing Marshall, playing <laughs> Southern Miss. Um, a couple of other newcomers to the Sun Belt. You talk about joining a new conference and not knowing what to expect. That's really been the case on the women's basketball side. Yeah. When you look at, um, you know, Troy has been the favorite – and the champion in this conference for several years running. It seems to be a little bit down. JMU pick six comes in and is looking kind of like a vintage JMU team. Um, ODU kind of don't know what to make of them right now. But Marshall, Southern Miss, a couple teams that I don't think were much were expected about, or like JMU 2-0 to start conference play. Now JMU goes on the road to face those teams. W- what do you think about those games coming up? I think they're a good test. I mean, obviously, they know a lot about Marshall just with who's on their coaching staff. But, you know, if JMU – I mean, you even split that, I think you're you're happy with what you have. But if they 
win them both, and I think they're really feeling well. But I think you know a split is is a good week for them. But I think a great week is is taking both of them. Yeah, I mean, because you do look at the uh, the travel situation. It's one of those um, early ones where you know you're making a short little bus ride over to Huntington, but then you're talking about you know it's a long trip to yeah, Hattiesburg. So they, they're they're flying. They're, yeah. they're they're busing the Marshall flying to Hattiesburg. Yeah, so it's going to be quite the week. For Which them. the men did a similar thing. The men flew commercial to Atlanta last week, and then took a charter flight from Atlanta to Marshall, and then rode the bus home from Marshall. But you know, you're talking about two of the places that don't have big airports. Um, you know, I'm guessing you know maybe they have a charter flight to make this easier. But it's it's a different kind of travel challenge than they faced in the CAA for the most part. It is, and I think it's going to add to, you know, part of the, you know, if you can win the games and, and deal with that, then I think you're good. But I think that's just the Sun Belt in general. I mean, you're going to have yeah. weird travel schedules. Some of the travel is kind of not really geographically set up right. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like you could have played Southern Miss and Troy at the same time or something like that and be kind of closer and make it easier to move around. But it is what it is, and they got to go to Marshall first and then figure it out after that. But obviously they're really focused on just – that short bus ride to Marshall and figuring out, you know, once they once they win or lose that game. Yeah, the conference uh, officials definitely made a conscious decision to kind of avoid um, travel partners, which I think maybe a lot of people assume they might do given the way the divisions are set up. But they didn't do that, and I think it's it's fine. But you know, to segue into the men's weekend, I think that makes it all the more impressive that they go mm-hmm. on the road and get you know the two wins that they did. Um, you know, Georgia State's not a juggernaut this year. Uh, new coach, a lot of new players. New arena. New arena, yeah. But I, do, I just don't think a lot of teams that play both Georgia State and Marshall are going to sweep those two games. And JMU did. They did it without Votto Morris. They did it without Julian Wooden at Marshall, who I think, you know, going in, they probably would have thought he'd been a pretty important part of the matchup given the big guards that Marshall has. I mean, to get those two wins, there's a long ways to go. There's a lot of games to go. A lot of things can happen. But it's as good as you could possibly hope to start if you want to get the number one seed in the conference tournament. I think it is. I mean, you show that you can win. I mean, Marshall's been one of the hottest teams in the conference so far, and you go in there and take care of business with a shorthanded team. You have a freshman playing meaningful minutes and scoring meaningful baskets. I think that that just shows the depth of this team being without you know two of their better players for that Marshall game and and really making things happen. And if if you play with all thirteen scholarship players, which I don't think they really have this year at any point, um, I feel like you know that that'll make this team that much better. But at the same time, being without them, they have allowed the guys farther down the bench to get on the court and, and get experience. And so when they're called upon, they're good to go. Yeah, um, in the story I wrote today, I mentioned that they've or Mark Byington mentioned they've had one practice this season with 13 <laughs> scholarship players, no games. Uh, it's not clear if they will this weekend. Uh, well, Thursday against Texas State and then Appalachian State coming to town on Saturday for an 8 o'clock start, which is an 8 o'clock start because of national TV. That game's on ESPNU. Should be really interesting to see what kind of crowds they get with the students out, but a little more excitement about the basketball program and there's been probably in recent years i think it is but i think you know it's for good for good measure i think yeah even on both sides i mean you know the, the women are playing well as well and the men obviously are, are playing very well and i think 
the hype would be more if they could have pulled out the win at UVA. I mean, they had it. They were in mm-hmm. striking distance. And I think if that would have yeah. happened, we're talking about a, a really dangerous JMU team. I still think that there's a lot of learning lessons they took from that game in, in the North Carolina game that they've been able to use. And I think they're going so well right now. Yeah, I mean, well, let's be honest. If they had pulled out the win at UVA when they cut the two with less than a minute to go, right now what we'd be talking about is at-large NCAA berth because they moved up to, I think, 42nd in the net rankings today, which in some cases in recent years has been right around that It makes you a bubble team. Right about that range for bubble teams. For a JMU team that doesn't have a real marquee victory – I mean, a win at Marshall is a solid. It's a quad one victory, but yeah. you know, I've been I've been doing some of the research on this <laughs> recent years. Teams that have been in that kind of like forty ish range in the net that have gotten the at large from a mid major conference. You can look at like a Drake uh, a couple years ago was quite similar to where JMU is now. The big difference was in conference they got a like top 20 win against Loyola Chicago. And they only won once out of, I think three or four games against that team that year. Um, But that was probably enough to kind of be their signature win. And I don't know, unless JMU and Southern Miss both kind of just go on crazy runs here. (sighs) uh, I don't know if either one can be the signature win for the other, but it is interesting that all of a sudden you can even kind of, like, even as we're kind of shaking our heads and doubting that this is something that'll be brought up, and you know, maybe maybe everybody's going to eat each other alive in conference play. It's quite a turnaround to even be having this discussion in the Sun Belt this year. It is, it is for sure, and I think that you know, bad marquee wins can be hard to come by in the Sun Belt Conference, but same time if if you get two teams that are going on a roll, I think you can be okay. Um, but we'll find out. It's obviously. January 4th, and we've got, what, three months until, or two months, I can't do math, but, you know, two months until this actually matters, so hopefully, you know, as long as JMU keeps winning, and then they'll just play their way in. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked over and over again about what moving from the CAA to the Sun Belt has meant for a variety of JMU programs, and I don't think either one of us expected it to be that big of a deal for the basketball programs in particular. But it's actually turning out that this is going to be a really fun, exciting conference race that I think should keep JMU fans pretty engaged as they see some new teams come to town, see you know JMU play against a Texas State team on Thursday that they've never played before. That's down, but it's been pretty solid. There's some storylines there with Alonzo Sule playing against his old team. It just... As of right now, every everything could change. We've seen sh- things change for JMU around this time of year in the past. But as of right now, every game they play between now and February 28th, I think whenever the, the Sun Belt tournament starts, every game is going to be a big game for this team. And I, that's something they haven't had in a while. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that you know brings the most out of your team. But as well, like, when you're playing in a mid-major conference, you know you, you got to win the tournament to make the tournament, mm. but you also want to avoid as many terrible losses as possible. And yeah, I think if, as long as you avoid losing to like ULM or Arkansas State, I think you'll be all right. Yeah, and but I mean, just kind of what I've been getting at too is, you know, last year when they were not playing for anything yeah. in the CAA, fans kind of you know still came out. They had good attendance. 
they were interested in what the program was doing. But like, how much could you really get into it when, yeah, you're hosting Delaware, but that game is completely meaningless for you as far as like, you know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to finish? Uh, if you're going to make the postseason at all, you know, now, I mean, if JMU winning the Sun Belt tournament is going to be tough because there's a handful of good, solid teams that could all win it. But if you finish first in the regular season, you know you're at least in the NIT, which is something this program has not done in a long time. True. Uh, you're aiming for – I was looking this up earlier today. They're aiming for uh, three winning seasons in a row for the first time since the mid-'90s when Lefty Drizel <laughs> was the coach at JMU. I mean, there's a lot of things – that seem to be changing for the better for this program. And I think, you know, I do it. I know a lot of fans do it. You focus all on if you're going to win the conference, if you're going to make the NCAA tournament. But there's a lot of milestones for JMU basketball as low as they've been until recently that they're kind of aiming for right now. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if, if you, even if it's an NIT bid this year, I think that's still a, right, a step in the right direction, which overall. Yeah, I mean, they were unfortunate in Mark Byington's first year when they did win the CAA regular season. That typically would have been the automatic bid to the NIT, but short NIT field because of COVID that year. Uh, you can just make a, a list or a spreadsheet of all the different like weird things that have happened to uh, kind of keep both JMU teams out of postseason recently. But it does seem like they're playing for a lot. On the court – What's jumped out to you the most in, you know, not a winning streak for the men's because they've had, you know, a bad loss at Coppin State and everything, but to get off to a good start in conference play? Yeah, I think it's just playing as a, you know, I think it goes for both the men and the women, just playing as a complete team, but specifically for the men, you know, you're missing your leading scorer for the past few games. Other people are stepping up to score. I mean, you've got Terrence Edwards who's doing things, but. I think Xavier Brown steps out big time for against at least against Marshall, just you know scoring eleven points, not missing a shot in seventeen minutes, and you know as Mark Bynson said yesterday that they they lose the game if he's not in and doesn't make those shots. So I think they you know that's pretty big coming from a guy who's had up and down minutes the whole year and and is just a freshman and now I think Bynson's starting to trust him a little more. Yeah, I mean he seemed to have trusted him from the very beginning, uh, maybe compared to last year's freshman class. Uh, you know, to, to turn it over to him as a point guard when you've got some other guys, some veteran guys who can handle the ball for you. Um, but we know when a guy like Vado Morris is out or when Tiger Yernacho has been out or Terrell Strickland, you just give those minutes to Xavier Brown. I didn't expect that to happen this year for, for him. I thought, you know, that was a good pickup. But, I, I mean, I didn't expect him to be doing that in December and January of his freshman season. Yeah, no, I don't think a lot of people did, but – Hey, it's working. Yeah. Um, anybody else that's kind of stood out to you in particular on the men's side of things? Yeah, I mean, like, I think a guy like Terrence Edwards is always, you know, fascinating player. He does a lot um, on the court. Um, Noah Friedel, when he's when he's shooting hot, I mean, he makes a big impact for this team. I mean, he's had games this year where the ball just doesn't go down, but then there's other games where he doesn't miss. And I think if you can get that Noah more often than you get the one that doesn't make a shot, I think you're – you're doing just fine. Yeah, and I was just talking about this on another show that I was a guest on, and you know, probably the big thing to stand out for me for Noah has been um, that to him being a streaky shooter, I think it's probably somewhat expected. What I didn't know, 
to expect for him was a guy who's getting after a lot of loose balls, who gets a lot of rebounds, who plays pretty solid defense. I just didn't know that about him coming in and that he's still having an impact on the game, even if he goes over five from three point range, which just happens from time to time. And if he does get kind of on a hot streak where he starts shooting 40, 45% from three point range, which I think most people would think he's capable of having a stretch like that. Then he could be a really, really good player for JMU and a big factor in the conference race going forward. Yeah, I think he can be. And I think, you know, that's kind of what, they wanted to see from him when they took him from the portal, and I think, you know, he's shown it. He can do it. I think now just in conference play, it's going to mean a little more. Yeah, and I think it probably just also, um, you know, given his, you know, openness about previous issues with anxiety and things like that, and, you know, we even saw, you know, he sets out basically an entire game earlier this season. Um, he seems to be adapting well to a situation where he – can kind of fill that role where, hey, if I go 0 for 3, it's okay. We've got other guys who can carry this team, and I can do other things. Um, I think that partially is why JMU was a good fit for him to come in here and you know play alongside of Otto Morse, who's going to take a lot of shots, play alongside of Takal Molson, who also makes things happen even when he's not scoring, like we saw at Marshall, but can also put up 20 a game. He seems to just really fit into that you know, given everything we know about him. Yeah, I think he does, and I think he, he's been through a lot. Um, he looked for JMU as a fresh start, and I think it's it's working out in the end. Yeah. Um, well, we can, you know, go ahead and wrap this up, short episode. We're going to see some basketball, see some uh, national TV basketball in Harrisonburg this weekend. Before we go, what do you think? Two and Both teams 2-0 and to start conference play. Are they undefeated by the time we come back in here next week? I'll say one of them is. Okay. Which one? Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, I'll say this. I'll say James Madison, basketball as a whole, will go 3-1 and one this week. I'll say the men go 2-0 and oh and the women okay. go 1-1. One one. That, that's, you know, I think that's fair to say. They, the men should be able to beat these two teams at home, but you never know how things are going to work out. Well, that will do it for the first purple and bold podcast of 2023 we'll have several more this year as we get further into basketball season we get ready for spring football coming up in the coming months more signing day stuff we'll get into spring sports this year but for now it's gonna be pretty basketball heavy like this episode was as both teams continue to have quite a bit of success i'm shane metlin you've been listening to me along with noah fleischman I almost said Noah Friedel because we were just talking about him, but this is Noah Fleischman here talking to us about Noah Friedel. And you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. Thanks for tuning in.